Hello and welcome to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by whoscored.com in association with Oddschecker. I'm your host, Dan Bardell, joined for this Premier League preview by George Ellick and Sam Ty. Plenty of big games for us to get our teeth into, but as always, let's exchange some pleasantries first. George, are you well? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thanks, George. You know I don't do well with a with an early morning record. You can probably see it in my eyes, but I'm going to. I only ever see you at half past eight, so I basically just think you're a you're a nasty person. You never see me at my best. That's the that's, no. that's the problem. I used George. to. I used to back in the day. Yeah, two o'clock records were golden. I love <laughs> our two o'clock records. They, they were perfect for me. But I'm sure I'll wake up as we go through the podcast. Sam, you and I did a did a Villa podcast last night, so you've had to see me twice in about twelve hours. So apologies for that. Yeah, but it was at 9 p.m., so you were in your prime. Really good then. Yeah, yeah. Really, really good. <laughs> so that was actually a real treat. Yeah, I'm trying to cut down on energy drinks as well, so no no energy drink for me this, this morning. So no energy well, at all? So no, so no energy, yeah, basically. What about um, coffee? You're a coffee guy? I'm not a grown-up, George, so I don't do te- do not do tea or coffee. You're putting tea in the grown-up category there, which is, is, that, is my, my, grown-up drink? my like 10-year-old nephew drinks tea. He's obviously a connoisseur. Obviously. <laughs> I've never, never, never drank. I used to drink Bovril and then I went vegetarian, so I can't even drink that anymore. So hot drinks just completely out the window, bar the, bar the odd hot chocolate. But I'm sure absolutely no one cares about this and it will probably get edited out anyway. Let's look at the right first there. game this weekend and it's a big one. It's Manchester City against Liverpool, Sam. Last time out, a few problems for Manchester City against Chelsea. Was there anything that Liverpool can take away and think, oh, actually, we might be able to utilise that? Well, they've just conceded four goals, uh, which rare. is which is incredibly rare. Um, I tried to look this up, and it, it looks like the last time City's conceded four plus uh, was about 180 games ago. It was against Leicester City in that very bizarre five-two home loss. Okay, um, I remember it well, yeah, which is uh, yeah back in the Vardy era, the King Jamie Vardy era. So um, it's been a while. So the City have shown that level of fragility. So I think you can definitely take heart from that. And I think Liverpool can take heart from the fact that, unfortunately, John Stones is injured. And John Stones is really, 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 really important to the team. He's absolutely amazing. And their sort of shift out of 4-2-3-1 into a kind of 3-2-4-1 is sort of dependent on him. You know, they've tried a few other players in that area. Manuel Akanji started the season trying to do it showed a bit of fragility. You know, it's really hard. Like, I'm not going to blame him and say, oh, terrible. Kanji couldn't play three roles at once. What a loser. Like, it's a really difficult role to play. And that's why John Stones is so good. And part of the problem with the Chelsea game is that Ruben Diaz was sort of stepping forward into those positions a little bit. It's the worst game I've seen him play in years. It's not him, is it? It's not. No. And that's, again, it's no disrespect. It's just he is, he's not that type of player, or at least he's not, you know, after one attempt. (laughs) It's because it's really difficult. So, you know, let's see what Pep does because I'm not sure he's looking at anyone here that he could probably reliably push into midfield to make that shape change now that John Stones is injured. So would he change his, his viewpoint on this and would he would he abandon that? And will he once again reinvent Manchester City? Well, that game have, have scared him, George, because... I mean, Chelsea weren't exactly free-flowing in terms of goals in, 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 until, until recent weeks. They obviously scored four against Tottenham, who had a, had a couple of men sent off. But they're coming up here against a team that do score a lot of goals and against a player who does score a lot of goals, particularly against them. Mo Salah's got 11 goals and five assists in 19 matches against them in all competitions. Pep going to be worried about this one? With most managers, I'd say no. Um, but I think Pep is obviously famously very reactive. He's not someone who's going to come out after a game and say, yeah, well, you know, it was a disappointing to see four goals, but we'll continue doing what we're doing and we'll, and we'll get there in the end. We know that Guardiola is someone who, <clears throat> when he sees something he doesn't like, he normally makes a change. When he sees something that he's not happy with, he normally won't, won't persist with it necessarily, unless it's in a game where often we see him um, persist with the starting lineup when when the performance isn't going too well. Um yeah, and, and as Sam said, you know the, the Stones injury is is clearly significant. It adds to um, the De Bruyne injury, which which obviously created the issue in the first place a few weeks ago. I think the Kovacic injury doesn't help because there is a natural central midfielder there who isn't going to be able to play in this one, who would kind of slip in and, and enable them to play that kind of you know four centre backs, flat back four with with. Um, Bernardo and, and Kovacic either side of Rodri in a way that is most akin to what we used to seeing them play before De Bruyne's injury. And also with Nunez, a doubt for this one too, that there isn't a natural 
ability to be able to play two midfielders either side of Rodri, which is, I think is when they're, they're generally at their best. So, um, yes, but at the same time, I do think Chelsea's performance against City was very, very good. Like, you know, it's easy to, to focus on the, the, short, the shortcomings of City and, and where they um, could have improved in the rest of it. But at the end of the day, they came up against a side who have a lot of individual quality. And even though they haven't shown it for large parts of the season on that night, they absolutely did. So um, it, it comes at a difficult time. It's for City. You know, you look at the, the recent results and you look at what happened prior to the 4 all game, a game where they were two minutes away from winning at 4-3 in what would have been a, a, a very, very impressive three points given the circumstances. And, you know, they were, they've were they been ramp, rampant and dominant recently. So it, it's easy to get caught up in an individual performance, an individual result and focus on the team who who is perceived to have dropped points. Um, but I still think going into this game, City are, at least in my eyes, with, with home advantage, the, the likelier team to win. George talks about that midfield there, Sam. I mean, we know from previous podcasts and, you know, football for the last year, still no chance that Calvin Phillips will come into that midfield. <laughs> who, who does come into that midfield? Does, does Foden move central for this one? It depends on the shape, doesn't it? Um, I think we can we can count on Rodri and we can count on Bernardo, and then it's a case of we'll see. Because as a can we go back to Villa's, you know, playing Jack on the left of a three? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, he plays on the left for Manchester City, and that is that. Yeah, well, I mean, he did play what? Uh, he had like a twenty-minute cameo not long ago as one mm. of as the sort of left ten. Um, you know, and, and I think it was in the Champions League, and it was like, oh, okay, that was quite cool. And I, I just wonder if Pep was trying to feed. Grealish a bit of an idea there to say hey because that's it's also I remember that when, when they signed Grealish Guardiola did an interview where he said that he played golf with some friends and all he could talk about when playing when playing golf was where he was going to play Jack Grealish and all the different positions Grealish could play and then he's played in one position left the, yeah, whole time. Time. <laughs> the whole time yeah. the time he's been there so I mean it's obviously been on his mind previously and I, I almost think the way that Jack has been molded by Guardiola He's probably more suited to play that role now than, than he was when he was at Villa and doing it very, very well, albeit in the Championship. Yeah. I mean, yeah, depends. I've said Ferdinand, and I've completely forgotten about Alvarez, who, who usually mm. plays close to Haaland and kind of plays as a tip. So, yeah, I mean, off the ball against Chelsea, they were in basically a 4-3-3 and, and Bernardo and, and Alvarez were kind of either side of Rodri and, and Alvarez can sort of play that hybrid role. So... That's always an option, and it's good to get Alvarez on the pitch. However, you can even when Haaland's there, because he's not—he's not a reserve striker, is he? He's a fully fledged, brilliant player who should be on that pitch and should be playing as close to Haaland as possible because they bring the best out of each other. So, I guess I'd probably expect Alvarez, just because you know that a game against Liverpool, a game against Klopp's Liverpool is going to be such a slog in midfield. It's going to be such hard work. Alvarez is the perfect player for that type of bout, isn't he? Oh, he's a, a lovely, lovely footballer, Alvarez. I was watching something the other day and I can't remember who it was. And a, a Manchester City player was asked, this is terrible chat from me, a Manchester City player was asked <laughs> if he could take if he could take one player with him for his country and he, he picked Alvarez. He said he can just can just do everything. You know, he's right. a forward that, that can do everything. But because they've got Haaland, you almost forget that Alvarez is a, is a forward that can do everything. Yeah, if Haaland was out for a month, it actually wouldn't be that much of a problem anymore. It'd be no, fine. Alvarez is sensational. Well, those goals have dried up a little bit recently, haven't they? He got, he got off to a, a really fast start this season in terms of goals and assists. Playing deep as well. I mean, that, at Man City, that, that doesn't seem, doesn't seem to matter. Rodri scored a lot of goals playing as a playing as a, a number six. But yeah, yeah I mean, it, it feels like if, if Alvarez, you know, there was that that period a few seasons ago where it felt like Guardiola had to reluctantly basically play Sergio Aguero as a striker. Now, obviously, Alvarez wasn't. A you know an elite footballer then he was too young but it feels like had he been five years older you know he was the striker that Pep was basically crying out for then but now given that Harden's there you know he's got a temper the way he plays a little bit and he, and he you know he's he's a very rare combination of a player who is brilliant in possession and and got a goal scorer's instinct and can also um, be creative in the final third like he's he's an unbelievable footballer I think you know there'll be a time pretty quite soon where you know the, the the narrative around Alvarez will change from being one of a, a very good side at City to a, to a star to, to not one of their number one guys one of their go-to mm. I suppose he is already I can't remember many games he hasn't played this season he certainly feels like he's played a lot more than than the previous season he definitely yeah. has yeah I mean he's only has. 20 he's still only 23 years old like he's you know this is his uh, if if City players under Pep often have a difficult first season. Well, his wasn't too difficult and he's now stepping up as it as it goes along, which is often the way it goes. That's starting to change. The difficult first season definitely hasn't affected oh, Jeremy Dockers. Dockers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <That's laughs> he's doing all right, isn't he? Yeah. In fairness to Alvarez as well, 
he's won everything in the last 12 months as well, including the World Cup, so he might as well just retire. There's, no, there's mm. nothing left for him to win, is there? He's, well, I suppose the Carabao Cup, because as we know, Nathan Jones stopped him from winning the Carabao Cup last, last season, but... He's won a lot of trophies in his, in in the last in the last year. That that's that's for sure. Manchester City and Liverpool are the two top rated teams in the Premier League going into this one, and they've also got the top cent. Well, Liverpool have got the highest rated centre back in the Premier League so far this season. I don't know if either of you have, have have seen this top ten, but can you guess who number two and number three are in the Premier League? I'll be shocked if you got this. Uh, what are you searching for George? That's cheating. <laughs> yeah. What no, doing? no, no. I'm I'm doing. I've, I've t- I can show you my screen if you want. Just type no, to the Premier League table just to make sure I'm going to go through and see the. Um, what about uh, uh, Ethan Pinnock? It's a good guess because he's fourth. Oh! That's, that's, a really, <laughs> that's a really good guess, that is. I think if you played fantasy football, you might have a chance of getting it. Romero? No, he's fifth. So good. <laughs> so. So his red his red card probably took him down a little bit as yeah, as well. Right. So good good effort from you two there with with the guesses. The answers actually are second is Joachim Anderson on oh. seven point two eight. He scored a few goals, hasn't he? And he's riding high in all the fantasy football metrics. Third, and I didn't know this was his full name. Third is Willy Arnold Boller. Mm. Seven no way. So yeah. That's the trivia this week. I've, I've, I've invented some off the, off the cuff from who scored metrics. Uh, Virgil van Dijk, then best centre-back in the Premier League at the moment, as I've just said, with 7.35. Is he back to his best now, George? What's, what's changed? Because it did feel like there was a little bit of a drop-off. Yeah, it did. It did. And I think part of that was was clearly um, fitness-related, where he had injury issues and was having to come back um, off the back of those. And when you get to a certain stage of your career, it probably takes a, a while longer to get back to full fitness. Um, he's having a, a period now where he is um, been been fit for a consistent amount of time. I think Liverpool as a, you know, I, I would almost argue that it's Liverpool as a unit being better, enabling Van Dijk to, to perform rather than necessarily yeah. his individual performances elevating. Um, but that's not to say that it's, um, you know, that it's in any way you know, incorrect to say that, that he has improved. Um, I personally kind of, I think like many others thought that it was just a, a physicality thing and, and maybe we did the days of Virgil van Dijk being clearly the best defender in the Premier League and possibly one of the best Premier League defenders of all time um, were over. But he's showing this season a a renewed a return to form. Um, I think there's also been so much chopping and changing in terms of his, his centre-back partners, albeit this season it's kind of been the same again. But, um, you know, Liverpool for, what, two of the last four seasons have just been absolutely ravaged by injury. And and, and I think whether that's Van Dijk himself being injured or, or his partners coming out, that's played a massive part uh, in it. I still think... Now, having said all that, this is a game on on Saturday where he'll really be tested, um, where his ability on the turn will be tested consistently. His aerial ability is, you know, whether or not he can take take care of Erling Haaland. Um, you know, this is, I think, a game where for for Van Dijk playing in the Premier League for a good side again, he's going to be dominant over most strikers in this league. Whereas against Haaland, and it's not just Haaland as well, you know, you mentioned Foden and, and, and Alvarez. This will be a sterner test. And it wouldn't massively surprise me if um, he comes off second best in that. Actually, Virgil van Dijk is fifth in the overall 23-24 form rankings. This is the, really basically takes into account that the last six games and six of the top ten are either Manchester City or Liverpool players. I'll give you the who's number one. It's Erling Haaland with a rating of 7.71. And again, I'm going to come to you both to guess who two and three is in the in the form rankings over the last six games in the Premier League. Bakaya Saka. He's ninth. So again, I think I credit you with that being a that being a good guess. Haaland? Well, we said he was number one, George. So you've, you've, you've Sorry. Just, you've repeated what, I, what I've said. Obviously, don't listen to anything I say on the pod, which is which is completely fair, actually. actually well, no, so I, otherwise, I wouldn't know what the game is. And maybe that's pretty quite, it's probably quite a good way to, to answer any question about who's called rankings. Yeah, just guess Harland. Harland. Yeah, he's, he's number one, 7.71. Rice? No, not even in the top 10. I'll, I'll, I'll put you out of your misery. I, the, everyone, yeah. everyone will be shocked to learn number one is Erling Haaland with a rating of 7.7. No <laughs> way. <laughs> number, what? Number two, John McGinn, 7.69. Hey. Now that's oh, why you've yeah. done this game. Across the entirety of the Premier I mean, the graphic would have flashed up either way, but yeah, across the whole entirety of the Premier League, John McGinn is number two. And number three with exactly the same rating. I'm not sure what separates them. Bernardo Silva. Uh, fourth was Docker, fifth was Van Dijk, sixth Mikalenko, seventh Conor Gallagher, eighth Rodri, ninth Saka, and ten Ryan Mbuma. Sam, both these sides are only a point apart after twelve matches. 
this feels like the closest they've been in in terms of quality for for, for a year or so. Liverpool, it feels like they've made ground up after finishing a long way off them last season. Yeah, they've definitely made the ground up 100%. Um, and Virgil van Dijk's resurgence has been a key part of that. Just getting that fear factor back around him because uh, he's a bit of a one-man defensive line at times, isn't he? No disrespect to the others, but like he just feels he just feels insurmountable sometimes. He stays, doesn't he? Everyone else is moving around and doing different things, and Van Dijk just basically stays. Is it? Yeah, and he stands in front of the goal, and everyone runs away from him. It's perfect. It's the easiest defending I've ever seen. I don't. More people should try it. They're just terrified of him. But for a while, obviously post injury, he did lose that fear factor. But it, it does feel like it's creeping back now. But there's, there's more factors as well, obviously, that the big midfield reboot in the summer has gone incredibly well, you know, and it has settled yeah, it really incredibly has. quickly. And also, they, they just kind of got over, you know, the loss of Sadio Mane, you know, the phasing out and then loss of Roberto Firmino, which took about a year of grieving, you know, to really get over the fact that that, that, that front three had broken up so significantly. And with Darwin starting slow, but now obviously coming to fruition second season, there's just a lot of things now starting to work in their favour and all coming together at the same time. I did think that title shouts or title challenge shouts for Liverpool in the summer were a little bit premature. But I have to say, after 12 games, they look well within their rights to say, yes, we are in this race and we are one of the top sides. I really thought it would be City, Arsenal and then a gap. It's not. It's a top three. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I agree with you. That Those... Three teams feel like they will be the top three in in, in some mm-hmm. form of of order. George, our sponsors, Odd Checker. I think it looks like Arsenal are are ahead of Liverpool, the second favourites in the in the Premier League running at the moment. Is that is that fair? It's hard to say whether or not it's fair. I mean, I'll get the prices up now. And uh, Man City are currently the, the two on favourites. Arsenal are eleven to two best price, um, but they're kind of that's with with live score bet. But are short as kind of four to one market price to a lot of firms. And, and Liverpool are thirteen to two best price. That's with ball sports. But you're, there's a lot of five to two, eleven, eleven sorry, five to one and eleven to two. So maybe not. I mean, I, I always think, especially in these kind of season long markets, too much of of kind of pre season expectation is baked into the price, and often. Um, it takes the prices a, a bit of a while to, to kind of catch up with the fact that actually the, the perception of where Liverpool were pre-season, as I mentioned, you know, the, the doubts about whether or not they were title contenders shouldn't really matter too much when you've now got a, a, a quite a big body of work to suggest that they absolutely are. Um, like even last season, it took it took the odds loads of time to, to kind of really accept that Arsenal were genuine title challengers. Like even after a really good start to the season, they were still a massive price to win it. And then they went, they went odds on, um, I think, briefly for one night before City obviously came roaring back. I would definitely rather be backing Liverpool at 13-2 to than I would be backing Arsenal at 11-2 to right now. I think, from what I can see, Liverpool look like they are, as we spoke about in the, in the Van Dijk conversation, um, much, much better. I mean, this is obviously a game where... You know, it, it, their their price is going to fluctuate massively depending on what happens here. You know, if they go to to, to City and beat them, then you're going to see that half in price. If they if they get well beaten, then they're, they're going to drift even further. Um, but I, you know, looking at the market as it is right now, um, I think and and also um, should be mentioned as well that you're only getting two places for each way. So anyone watching this thinking, hold on, in the back Liverpool each way at thirteen to two, I hope they finish in the top three. Sadly, that isn't an option. Um, but that that looks to me like the the the, the value player at this at this moment in time. If you had to pick the top three in order at the moment yourself, would you would you plump for Liverpool second? Yeah, I, th- I think I probably would. <clears throat> you know, in this, as to what we were saying earlier, like Arsenal are clearly a, a, a brilliant side, but I think it can often get kind of forgotten just how far they've come and how quickly they've done so. When you add the um, the Champions League side of things to it as well, I think it would be an incredible achievement from Arsenal to follow up what was a massive um, improvement last season to follow that up with, with anything similar this time around. So yeah, I'd, I'd have City, Liverpool, Arsenal as my, my top three in that order. What about you, Sam? I mean, we did a, a Villa podcast last night and you stated that you were more scared of Arsenal than Manchester City actually in the fixtures coming up. Does that mean you're putting Arsenal tough? It doesn't mean that. Um, I didn't think it would. But it does mean that I do have, I would have Arsenal second and Liverpool third. Yeah. Um, It does, it's a lot, this is a guessing game this early in the season. There's way too many things that can go right or wrong for these clubs. Loads of injury worries, etc. that happen throughout the season. But Arsenal right now give me a a more consistent feel. Um, they are harder to beat, I think. Uh, I think they're probably the best defensive side in the league. The underlying numbers would certainly suggest that. 
And I think that's probably a little bit more future proof. We don't really know. I think I've got Liverpool as, as, as second at the moment. I can't remember what I did in, in pre season. My top three was definitely Man City, Liverpool, Arsenal, but I can't remember which way around I had Liverpool and, and, and Arsenal. I might go back and, and have a look. But yeah, they're, they're looking like the, the top three at the moment, but it's still very hard to, to bet against Manchester City winning the league. Let's look at the combined 11 before we do our prediction. So Manchester City, Liverpool combined at 11 based on the 23-24 Premier League ratings so far and unavailable players like John Stones aren't included. What do you reckon the split is, George? Six City. No, seven City. Seven City. Seven City. Uh, okay. Uh, let's just go six and five. Six and five. Well, you're both wrong because it's eight and three. Ooh. Eight. I, I, was, I was less wrong. Yeah, you were you were less wrong if, if well done, that is a thing. Thanks, thank you. Yeah, that's that's t-shirt. <laughs> I'm, surprised. I'm, I'm surprised that, and a bit a bit more of a, a guessing game. Have you had to pick the three Liverpool players that were in? What three would you go? Oh, for? We know it's Van Dyke. Van Dyke, oh. yeah, correct. Salah, no. Salah, correct. Shrubbery, incorrect. Trent, we, we already know he's not doing very well in there. Allison, Allison. Oh, you took it off my tongue. Well, you'd already guessed, so I didn't think it was fair that you got more guesses than, than, than Sam and then celebrated profusely at the, the, the end of it when you'd had more guesses. I'll go through the 11 now. It's Alisson in goal, Kyle Walker, Akanji, Van Dijk and Gavardial as the back four. Salah, Silva, Rodri and Doku as the midfield four. And there's Alvarez partnering Erling Haaland up top. A, a, a nice team. I guess in that formation, actually, it would be hard to get Shabba's live. In, in, into that team in a, in a kind of a, a 4 4 2. I guess that's the reason he hasn't made it potentially. Feel sorry for Rodri though, there. He's doing a lot of work. <laughs> Bernardo Silva sits, sits next to him and gets through a lot of running next next to him in the in the big games. I think I think that team would be okay. I think I think they'd be all right. They win a few games, yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I think they'd be title contenders anyway. Let's 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 put it that way. Let's do our predictions then. Manchester City against Liverpool. George, I'll come to you first. I've gone for two one City. 2-1 to City, Sam. I've done the same thing, yeah. I've gone for Manchester City 2, Liverpool 2. I think it'll be a draw at the Etihad this weekend. I mean, George had a good week last week. I say a good week. George had the highest score of all of us last week in the in the predictions league. He got nine points. I got seven. And then your hybrid team, uh, Sam, you got five points. Jonathan letting you down a, li- a little bit. He was criticising you a little bit the, for your predictions, and then he's gone and dropped a, a stinky five pointer. So might be a season low that. Might big, have to bring that up. Big big pressure on you. That leaves me top of the leaderboard on ninety eight, pushing towards treble figures. You and Jonathan eighty two points, um, and George still lagging behind on seventy six. But some progress has been made. Before we look at Everton and Manchester United, then let's let's just do the rest of our. Pred- so we've done Manchester City against Liverpool, Newcastle against Chelsea, Sam. One all. One all. I've gone for Newcastle two, Chelsea one. George, you copied Sam? Well, yeah, one all. If you two get it wrong this week, I could be in for a, could be in for a we, good one. We're going to go through the card doing every single one the same. It could, could be Nottingham Forest against Brighton, Sam. One all. 3-1 Brighton. 3-1. Sorry, George. I've gone Sorry. for two. I've gone for two nil to Brighton. A, a rare clean sheet. Sheffield United. We're going to talk about later against Bournemouth. George, no nil. Nil nil. He's chucked one in there. Sam, two nil to Bournemouth. Two, and I've gone for two one to Sheffield United. So some jeopardy in this week's predictions. Burnley against West Ham. I've gone for one one. Sam, three uh, two to West Ham. Two nil Burnley. Two nil again. Some differentials going on there. Luton v Crystal Palace. George one nil Luton. Two one to Palace. And I've gone for nil nil. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what. I think we were some... worried about having the same results. <laughs> just one minute ago. Gone on in the, in the in the last few. Brentford v Arsenal. I've actually gone for Brentford one Arsenal one. George two one Arsenal. I've copied you, Dan. One all. One all savvy, the savvy prediction. Mm. Uh, Tottenham against Aston Villa, George. The savvy prediction, one all. One all. I've gone for 2 1 to Villa, Sam. Two all. We'll talk about Everton and Manchester United shortly. And then, bizarrely, the Monday night football that I'm sure everyone's going to tune into, it's Fulham against Wolves. I've gone for nil two. So, Wolves, a, a rare Wolves prediction of a win for, for me, Sam. Yeah, this is the game I will not be watching. Uh, Fulham 1, Wolves 0. <laughs> I mean, I'm saying about no one tuning in to watch it 
I, I think I'm on my own Monday night, so I'll, I will be watching it. Absolutely. You could probably do like a scheduled tweet now for like half an hour into the game or something like, worth this is the worst MNF of all time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, just schedule your tweet for 45 yeah. minutes in with <laughs> just a tweet that says half time, nil, nil. What are they? <laughs> yeah. yeah. What are they going to talk that's, about in the half time? 45 minutes of my life, I'll never get back. Um, <laughs> uh, one all. One all. Okay, some interesting predictions this, this week. Thank you. I originally had five draws. And I looked at it and went, absolutely not. And I managed Changed to find it. one to remove. So it was down to a, a measly four, which is go still with your wrong. Gut. You've got to go with your gut. If you predicted five draws and three of your five draws came in, you've done, you've done okay there. There could quite feasibly be three draws. We're now going to create our odds checker accumulator. George, I'm going to ask you to pick one of your home wins for our hacker. I'm picking Luton to beat Crystal Palace. Um, nice. Luton's, Luton's form at home and their performances at home have been mid-table at worst. We saw them uh, last time yeah. out give Liverpool a real scare. Um, I don't think Palace are in a, a great spot right now and I think they're, they're like nearly 3-1 to one to win this game, which I think is, is a mad price. That's a, that's a nice one. I think I think that will help with the with the, with the odds as well. Sam, I'm going to ask you to pick an away win. I've got three here from my selections, so I've got to pick the, the one I think is probably going to be the best odds. And I imagine Bournemouth winning away is probably the juiciest one, given their struggles generally in the league. So Bournemouth to win away at Sheffield United, I'd like to put in the draw there. I've got a couple of draws in mind, but one of them is Luton against Crystal Palace. I've got three. One of them is Luton Palace, so I can't have that. Then I've got Burnley West Ham to be a draw and Brentford Arsenal to be a draw. I think I'm going to go Brentford. V Arsenal, you know. Yeah, Brentford. Do I reckon we've picked up some a good odd sheet there? This is eight to yeah. one minimum. Eight. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it's it's a, it's bigger than that. You got fourteen to five about the Luton home win. You got six to five. Well, I think there's a bit of five to four around, but six to five for the best price for the Acura about Bournemouth at Sheffield United, and fourteen to five again for the draw Brentford Arsenal. Which means if you go shopping odds checker and you find the best price with bet uk or bet mgm you're getting 31.61 to 1 for your treble oh tell I you what right. we, we've been quite you were right you were right <laughs> <laughs> We've been uh, we've been quite not safe, but that our accumulators haven't pulled out anything big. Like, I fancy a bit of that. Mm. I think it won. A, it won last week, didn't it? Oh, yeah, but they've been low. Pri- they've been low prices, yeah, haven't they? We've, yeah, we've gone what for it here. It? Seven to one, wasn't it? We we put up a nice winner. I mean, it makes sense that MGM are offering the best odds because we've gone box office with that. <laughs> there we really have. That's a that's a big one. I I'm doing that. I think that is a. I think that's sensational. Let's look at Everton versus Manchester United. Then really only one place to start. Sam minus ten points for Everton. They'd had that. They've got given that punishment last season. They undoubtedly would have gone. Well, they factually yeah. would have gone down this season. It feels like they can be hit with a minus ten and still stay up. Yeah. Well, I mean, they've just they've just had ten points removed, and they're now still just two points away from safety, which feels a bit surreal doesn't it? it it doesn't feel quite right um and i i do wonder what the effect is here you know everton were, were clearly coasting to safety this season like they, they were quite clearly a cut above the bottom four teams they've been thrust back among them and they're probably going to have to find a bit of a second win here 12 games in and just find a bit more momentum and say okay we're going to have to string together another set of results here to make to, to basically claw ourselves clear of this because we absolutely do not want to be found in this area come roughly one month's time in the Christmas area, right? That's that's kind of what you want to be clear of. I'm quite interested in the mental effects this has on, on this Everton team. I mean, I guess there's an argument that it, it could spur them to a great run of form. I guess there's an argument that it could really damage them. We will not know exactly what kind of effect it is until we see them hit the pitch. I'll save it for the predictions of it later, but I'm feeling, I'm thinking more on the positive side. I think it might spur them on a bit. Yeah, it might kind of bring the club together a, a little bit, might, might it? Georgia, they're quite fractured as a as a club. You know, it feels like whenever they go one nil down at home, the, the booze come out. The fans obviously are frustrated. It's been a, been a rotten time for them. They've been run terribly. So I feel really, really sorry for, for the Everton fans. But this feels like the kind of thing a little bit like when it happened to Derby in the EFL. Feels like it might galvanise them a, a little bit and almost galvanise the fan base and create that kind of us against everyone else mentality. Yeah, and, and I think they've got the perfect managers to do that. You know, Sean Dyche is someone who he'll play on that, won't he? <clears throat> massively. He's a, he's a siege mentality manager. He's someone who absolutely thrives on basically instilling a, a narrative at a club, saying, "Well, hold on, we've got to prove them wrong. Hold on, we we you know we're we're up against it here. We've got to show them what we're about." And, and in this case, I think we're going to see that. You know, it's interesting you mentioned Derby there because I was thinking in that 
season where, where Frank Lampard came in halfway through the campaign and kept Everton up. Now, I don't really think Frank Lampard has much in terms of, of, of tactical nous in the way of the Premier League at that, at that level. But his character and the way that he really made a massive effort to engage with the fans and get on board with the fans created this incredible momentum where they all bought into what he was doing and it carried them over the line as they as they as they as they stayed up that season. And I think Everton is a the perfect club where the, the fan base are obviously really distraught at what is going on at their football club. Um, you know, we've obviously had the the terrible news of Bill Kenwright passing in the last few weeks as well. It's been a tumultuous time for Everton. Um, but not only do they now have a um a target beyond the, the boardroom, but they feel incredibly aggrieved at the punishments that's been laid down at them when there is a massive elephant in the room when it's like, well, hold on, if Everton are being punished for this, then where are the punishments for the other clubs? Massive question marks around the financial regularities as to what other clubs are doing as well in the Premier League or, you know, not even question marks in some cases, like reports, charges being levelled at some clubs. So, yeah, I, I, I'd be really surprised if Everton... Given the personality of the of the fan base, given the you know the identity of the club, and given Sean Dyche's uh, personality as well, I'd be amazed if they rolled over off the back of this. I think this is going to make Goodison a, a more difficult place to go. I mean, their form this season, Goodison isn't very good. They've only won one game at home so far this campaign, which was um, the three 0 win over Bournemouth a, a couple of weeks ago. They've, they've lost four of their home games, um, and three of those were to nil against uh, Fulham, Wolves, and Arsenal. So the home form has to improve. I kind of think this is like the perfect game for them this weekend, where yeah. expectations obviously aren't particularly high. Like it's not like they're, they're hosting Luton or Sheffield United, where fans are going to go being like, "We need, you know, we should, we have to win this." But they're playing a side who are wounded right now, who have a real lack of belief who a real lack of quality. I remember right at the end of, of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's reign and during Ralph Ranić's reign, there were all these weird leaks coming out of the club saying the players think this, the players think that, the players don't think they're fit enough and all this stuff. And we're seeing the same in the last 10 days or so. These reports about pre-season was too hard. Like It's obviously not a happy camp right now, Manchester United. Going to Everton, who have a point to prove and feel like they're being treated unfairly, Everton will fancy their chances of of getting something out of this, and rightly so. Yeah, I agree with you. It's, it's the perfect kind of game because it's a traditional big six team. They're not there. They're very, very underwhelming, mm. Manchester United, and they feel very fragile and weak mentally. To me, it just feels like the game where Everton could, could turn up and, and turn Manchester United over. But bearing in mind everything we've just said about Manchester United, me and you, it says here in the script, actually, that they're the, the form side. The I last two games. It. Yeah, they're the only team in the league that have won two games in a row. How long? How long? How, how long's a piece of string? <laughs> and oh, those two wins was a one nil against Fulham and a one nil against Luton. So form side. If still, that, if and there's the, also there it. is a there is a table on whoscored.com called the form table, and you click on that on the Premier League, and they're not top. So you know. <laughs> <it's> a, <laughs> They're just, they're baffling Manchester United. I still look, look at them and every time I see their lineup for a game, I think, but yeah, he's still there. Has this team been picked out of a hat? It just, it literally feels like Ten Hag is pick, picking the team out of, out, out of a hat at times. You've got Leicester's centre-back partnership of five years ago playing playing for them, like lining up. It's just, I find them just completely baffling Manchester United, but they have won their, their last two games. I find this next two scored stat quite baffling as well because it doesn't feel to me like they... They make a lot, a, a lot of chances. That doesn't, to me, you know, feel like something I, I think about when when I watch them. But they're in the top three for worst big chance conversion in the Premier League this season at twenty percent. Sam, as well, would you would you have had that down as one of their biggest problems? Because I've got to be honest, I wouldn't have done. It. I don't feel like they create loads to me. I, I do obviously. I, I do keep track of which players are underperforming their xG quite closely, and for basically the entire season, Marcus Rashford has been in the top two for underperformance on XG. And he's on, what's he on? One goal from 36, 11. no, 36 oh. shots, I think. One goal from 36 shots, uh, something like that. Well, we'll flash um, up the who scored graphic here. Now it feels like a good time to do it. And he's actually having the same shots per 90 pretty much that he was having last season. But last season he scored 17 in 35. This season he scored one in 11. Yeah, it is. I just haven't got it here. It's one goal from 36 shots, which is not good. He's got, he's, he's 2.9 under his XG. And Hoyland, so he's the worst in the league. And the second worst in the league is Hoyland, 
who has naught goals from 14 shots. And so he's two and a half under his XG. So t- take as much from that as you want to, whether or not you're a believer in, in those underlying numbers or not. But one thing cannot be doubted. Rashford, one goal in 36 shots, well below his level from last season, well below expectation. Hoyland's been fine in the Champions League, but in the Premier League, he's, he's yet to score. And it's it's really quite weird. So when you think about it like that, it's probably no surprise that Man United are spurning their chances. And you think about the fact that they've actually been able to put some wins together. And obviously, they're more than capable of having their share of the ball in games. They might be, you know, in a bit of a crisis, but they're not a relegation candidate team. And then you look at the top scorers list. Bruno Fernandes and Scott McTominay are joint top scorers in the league with three goals each. Mm. Like this team are not scoring. They're not scoring. So, you know, take a step take a step back and actually think about all of that. I guess it is no surprise whatsoever. Yeah, just on the eye test, like when I watch yeah. them play, I don't feel like they create loads, but sometimes I feel like they're kind of going out to win these games. The last two games are kind of going out to just get a nick a one nil. It feels like that's the but isn't that just a symptom of just a really underperforming team that it just becomes just so result driven and there's no process at all? It's just like, mm. you know, we need to find a way to, to get over the line here. Like, I, in the last, you know, it, it looks like we're going to see the, you know, the, the sale or the partial sale to start with um, to Jim Radcliffe go through fairly soon uh, or at least, you know, they'll be ratified before it does go through. And, and I think that is going to probably. I imagine instigate a, a real change at Manchester United in terms of the way that they're run. And I couldn't believe it when you know Dougie Friedman was was being linked to the the sporting director role, and you had a lot of Manchester United fans saying like, "Who's he? Or what's he done?" You had Rio Ferdinand coming 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 out and saying like, "I don't see anyone saying Crystal Palace doing anything good." Who do you think signed Michael Elise? Who do you think signed Eze? Like, why when you've got a, a club like Crystal Palace? Yeah, Mark Gahey. Like these are players. That Manchester United have basically missed who they could have signed at a young age for a fraction of what they spend on normal transfer fees, who are going to be elite level homegrown talents for the next decade. And yet the there even though the, the the levels of Manchester United have been dwindling for over a decade now, you're still getting the arrogance where it's like, well, why do we want the Crystal Palace director of football to be our sporting director? Well, what's he done? Like it's they also, unbelievable. They also got to look at the fact that. That, that sporting director sold Aaron Wambasaka to to them for fifty yeah. million pounds. <laughs> it is absolutely unbelievable the amount of like I genuinely think they'd rather have Ollie in the dugout comparing players to players that he played with, who played under Fergie, with than actually get someone in who's got no affinity to the club, who's got a track record of identifying and recruiting <clears throat> top talent. Like it's 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 not that deep. It's quite simple. Go and recruit people who have a track record in doing these things, and you might improve. It didn't Rio Ferdinand kind of get lined up for a job behind the scenes at Manchester United? He, it's probably because he well. wants it. Was it that yeah. job? I can't remember which, which, which job it was. Even Joachim Anderson, you know, they identified him after half a season in the Premier League with, with Fulham as well, and a good half a season. You'd argue he'd get into Manchester United's back four as well. So I yeah. think pa- Palace, Palace's recruitment is it's good. unbelievably good. Yeah, well, the they had a whole rebuild, didn't they? Years. They had a really, yeah. really strong rebuild. Was it 12 months ago? Or it was maybe 24 months ago. They had to rebuild now, yeah. every, everything, basically, because they had so many players out of contract. And they did that with a minimum of fuss, and quite a lot of high-quality players have come through that rebuild as well. Ch- Czech Dukure as well. And yeah. also, obviously, you know, Odson Edward, uh, Dan, your favourite. Yeah, one of your favourite players, George. <laughs> He'll get that top. He'll, he'll get that top scorer, that golden boot one day, won't he? I just said, Edward. It might be in league already one, on five. League, but... Already on five. Already on five. <laughs> to be fair, if you said it this season, it was better than your prediction went <laughs> when, when, when you made it. Just just on Hoyland, uh, George. Why is he scoring so many goals in the Champions League? Five in nine. No, sorry, five in four. Why hasn't he scored in the Premier League in in nine games? What's the what's the reasoning behind this? Does there have to be a reason? I, I, it might just be the way that the, the games are falling. I think also in part it's because Manchester United's games in the Champions League have been ridiculously open. So naturally yeah. there have been more goals in those games and therefore as a striker you're going to profit from that. Partly maybe because, you know, the in terms of settling into football, you know, the, the, the football we're seeing in the Champions League, European football might be more akin to what Hoyland is used to rather than the the pace of the Premier League, which as we know is is a, is a bit of a step up, especially from Italian football. So, um, yeah, I think there's, there's reason for it. Um, but realistically, you know, if he's, I think it's pretty unlikely he's going to score loads, continue to score as many as he's scoring in the Champions League and not replicate that in the Premier League. Um, I, I just think United's games in the Premier League have been really cagey. Their attacking play has been really stunted, whereas for whatever reason, the Champions League, we've seen a, a couple of ridiculously end-to-end games for Hoyland has profited from that. So 
Um, I, I like him personally. Like I, I, I'm already seeing some people saying that you know that United need to bring in another striker. Just stop buying players the whole time. Just you know develop the ones that you've got because you, people you spend a lot of money on a young striker who has so many physical and technical uh, attributes that will make him a, a good player. Work on it. I mean, his average rating in the Premier in the Premier League, according to who scored, is six point two three. I That's don't know whether low. you I don't know whether you know this, George, but actually, his fellow Scandinavian <laughs> striker, Erling Haaland, he's top of the form rankings with seven points. I'd never have guessed. A long, a long way to go. I, t- I take George's point on on stop buying players and, and develop some, and you know, look inwards. But in this specific, so I, I kind of agree with you on on mass, George. But in this specific scenario. I do think that for Manchester, like I think the number nine shirt and playing up front for Man United is a very, very big burden. It carries quite the weight with it. And I think when they were signing players like Cavani at the end of their sort of age curve and, and career curve, I think they actually had more the right idea there because Cavani is someone who can step into that role and be like, yeah, no worries. I'll play up front for you. But playing up front at Old Trafford in this version of Man United, which isn't right, great, God. like it's, difficult like the pressure attached yeah, yeah. to this, this role and so i did wonder with hoyland in the summer i was like obviously go ahead and get your get your guy and get the guy that you think has high potential and while it was a lot for someone who hadn't done an awful lot in senior football something like 50 appearances shared between atalanta sturm Graz, and copenhagen all right fine but the wages are pretty low so like go for it but do do also sign someone else that can sort of reliably guide him along and by that i do not mean turn to Anthony Martial once again because we all know that's finished so in the summer I was thinking Mediterremi at Porto for example like genuinely this is the time to find a 30 year old striker or a 31 year old striker who could just kind of work in tandem with Hoyland and just kind of help him a bit and yeah. I would advise that they go back in for that sort of thing in January just to, just to tide them over and create a bit of a just lead them through this kind of two-year gap between having nothing and Hoyland being genuinely ready um, because number nine for United not easy yeah, just need to correct you because shirt number enthusiasts will be doing the doing that. Well, Cavani was the, the number eleven shirt, and Cavani <laughs> was number seven, wasn't he? So yeah, but you know well, what I mean. Ronaldo came, yeah. Philosophically, yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, that, to, to be honest, Martial still wearing the number nine shirt is probably part part of the problem because he hasn't done anything for them for, for years, and he's still in the squad, still still wearing that number nine shirt. Just yeah. a just a overall, just a complete mess. Mm. Man- Manchester United, and I, for some reason, I had them down as having a, having a good season at the start of the season, but it just shambolic. Really. I, know I, don't think, I don't think anyone could have expected. I mean, there was there was that's the other thing is there was clear progression last season on the pitch, like through yeah. the season as well as just from season to season. We, we were told when Tenard came that as a as a personality there were some issues, and he you know he's often didn't get onto well with, with, with the media or the fans. And I think we're kind of seeing now that when when he is part of the problem rather than the solution itself, it, it now feels very hard to see how he's going <clears> to <throat> get himself out of this because he's obviously very stubborn all these conversations about like, why aren't you playing the same as Ajax, which are obviously very reductive in themselves, but for, you know, go back 12 months or, or to the start of last season when United started poorly, like even though he was the manager or the head coach then, he was still seen as he was going to be the answer. Whereas now, I think you ask most United fans, what what is the problem or what are the problems? And I think Ten Hag is up there kind of towards the top of that list, which makes it hard to, to you know, it, it just, I mean, I wouldn't surprise me at all if Everton won this game and, the the calls for Tenag to leave really ramp up, and we're approaching kind of the nadir for Manchester United yet again before the, the takeover goes through, and there is something of a fresh start. This seems to be what happens though, as well. If my memory serves me rightly, a second full season. I'm sure that's Solskjaer, Van Gaal, Mourinho, and now Ten Hag, where it felt like there was progress in the first full season, done well. And then that second full season, everything just, just goes wrong. That seems to, I feel like that's happened under four managers now. Van Gaal might be the wrong one I'm, I'm wrong on, but definitely the other two. You know, they were they were making progress. They finished higher. They were they were heading in the in the right direction. Then it all just falls to pieces in that second full season. But yeah, Manchester United, a lot of work to do. With all that in mind, then predictions for this game, I have actually gone for an, for an Everton win. I've gone for Everton to win two one. George, yeah, two 0 Everton. <laughs> Oh, clean sweep. Everton 2-1. Everton 2-1. As well as none of us have predicted Manchester United to go to wounded Everton and pick up a result because it just, just feels like that this is the kind of game that will will trip them up again. That that to me just that just feels like it's what's gonna happen. You know, that might seem to a lot of people watching and listening like a, a bold prediction. There's not much in the odds between these two at all. Like 
United are just favourites, like marginal favourites. That they are um, eight to five, Everton are nine to five, best price. So, you know, even the the, the bookies and the odds and whatever else are suggesting this is a, a tight one. Yeah, let's look at Sheffield United. Then we were supposed to do it the week before the international break, but we ran out of time, and actually we've spent too long talking about what we were supposed to talk about <laughs> again. And we've got to Sheffield United, and we're running out of time. But <clears throat> similar points to what we were talking about before, they picked up a win against Wolves, but they're actually. Sam backed it up with a decent point away at Brighton. So this is kind of like the brightest they've been through this Premier League season so far. And with Everton's point deduction in mind, that has helped them. Things look a little bit rosier for the Blades. Yeah, a little bit. I don't know how much to, I don't know how much to take from it. I don't know if it's just a, a brief a brief glimpse of sunshine through the clouds, only for it to all cloud over again. Like uh, I'm going to ask George to carry the Sheffield United chat as the resident EFL expert, but because I'm I'm very wary. Because heading back there. <laughs> well, it's just, I'm very wary of my analysis sounding just very Phil right. Thompson on Sky Sports News here and just very, very like broad strokes. But like when you, when you hear people say, oh, they're just not good enough, it sounds, it sounds too simple and sounds lazy. But like Sheffield United basically raised the white flag on survival in the summer when they sold their best player in Illiman and DI and, Arguably their second best player. Oh, George, how you feel about that with Sander Berger? And they sold him to a to a, a promotion rival as well in Burnley. And obviously they've been mid takeover for like forty five years now, which makes it all really complicated. <laughs> but there's n- nothing that Sheffield United do convince me that they are trying hell for leather to stay in this league. And so with that in mind, and with those seeds being planted, like I do struggle to even look at the good bits of Sheffield United and think this is it. This is the start of it. Because I'm really not sure that this club is geared towards actually achieving that from a men- from a mentality perspective first and foremost, and then ultimately from a quality perspective. Any team that can lose eight nil mentally probably isn't quite there. And I know that there's been some injuries again. It's always the case, isn't it? There've been Sheffield United have had some injuries this season that have really disturbed them. But I really struggle to believe in them, even when they do this little mini turnaround and the sun peeks through the clouds. That's George. Please tell me that I'm. A Premier League snob, and I'm wrong. No, I, I don't think you are. I mean, th- th- there's a couple of issues here. Firstly, like in the Championship last season, Sheffield United were, were very good. Um, they had a bit of a wobble towards the back end of the season before kind of writing it. But unlike Burnley, who I know haven't done particularly well this season, unlike Luton, it kind of felt like their success was based on just having players who at that level are able to, to dominate in certain facets. So like Ollie Norwood is someone who's won 756 promotions out of the championship and he's the best <laughs> deep line playmaker in the league. 757 just, you know, actually. Yeah, sorry, I've talked about last yeah. seasons. But like, you know, he's someone who sitting at the base of a, a three-man midfield can just dictate the tempo so comfortably, like whether it's just recycling the ball in possession, whether it's playing these long raking diagonals, he's as good as it gets. Yeah, his, you know, naturally his impact on games at Premier League level, as we've seen for the past, you know, nearly thousand years, is is, is minimised because he's not able to do that. It's it's not his job. Like Sheffield United do not dictate the tempo in games at the Premier League level. So Norwood's role is normally diminished and therefore he normally goes out on loan somewhere in January and then wins promotion again in, in May. Like that's that's just the cycle of Ollie Norwood's career. Take Ollie McBurney. Like Ollie McBurney as a target man in the championship is completely dominant. Like he, he just makes defenders at the championship level look weak. You know, he dominates them in the air. If you think back to when Sheffield United beat Burnley last season in that incredible, I think it was 4-3. But Burnley just gave like Harwood, Bellis and Bayer just a, a complete runaround all game that, that, that day. But again, you move into the Premier League where he's playing against some of the best centre-backs in the world, suddenly he's not able to do that. Like Ahmed Hodzic is another one where from set pieces last season, he scored so many goals because he was just better than the opposition in terms of winning the ball in the air, being aggressive. But now at Premier League level, he's not able to do that. So I think there's, and normally it's not that simple. Normally, and I'd use, again, Luton and Burnley as an example of this, like there is a process to their play that is something they try and get to translate up into the Premier League. And even though Luton haven't started particularly well, I think we've seen signs of that working to an extent, especially at home this season. Whereas with, with Sheffield United, their their best players, their key players, are not able to replicate anywhere near the kind of form that we saw them last season. So I think that's a big issue. I also think there is, you know, and this is this type part of the season where you have to look at this stuff. There's a, a fixture dispersion issue here for Sheffield United where they've played 
seven of the top nine. Like the only team they haven't played, the only teams they haven't played in the top nine so far are Liverpool and, and Aston Villa. And they've only picked up one point from those games. They haven't played any of the fellow bottom four. So they haven't played Bournemouth, they haven't played Luton, they haven't played Burnley home or away. So part of this is because they've just had a really hard run of fixtures and they, you know, they they, they may well pick up more points. Like I, I'm, you know, I, I've, I've predicted earlier that Burnley will win. I've predicted earlier that Luton will win this weekend. I'm strongly of the belief that even though they've made poor starts to the season, we're going to see the, really, the, the promoted sides improve in terms of their points tally between now and, and you know, after Christmas. Um, and Blades are a part of that. I think in order to stay up, you probably have to be more competitive against the top teams. And, you know, especially with the the uncertainty around Paul Heckingbottom and his future with, you know, the rumours about Chris Wilder returning to the club having been floating around for the last kind of two months. I don't know, do that. Get Neil Warnock back. Come on. That's what we need. Yeah, what, we I mean, need. What, what, a, what, what a narrative. That's what we want. He was, when Warnock was sat from Huddersfield a couple of weeks, couple of months ago, he came out and did an interview recently saying it was a great time to get sacked because I mean, he could watch the Ryder Cup, the Cricket World Cup and the Rugby World Cup, which is, <laughs> and now those are done. Uh, maybe, maybe he'll be ready to come back. It's hard to make a massive case for them, I don't think. I, I also kind of, Blades fans won't, you know, like me for saying it, but there comes a point where really rolling the dice in order to, to, to try and stay up can be very, very, um, troubling like you look at Southampton and what they did in January and yeah. the, the bloated wages and the players that they were they were lumbered with uh, they had to ship off in the in the summer if Burnley get relegated they're going to have a ridiculously bloated squad um, and wage bill going to the championship next season for Sheffield United I think like a, a an understanding that yeah you know we they, they recruited well in the summer and I think you know certainly Gustavo Harm as a player where if they do get relegated he'll go to a, a top eight team in the Premier League or or or, or in European football for probably quite a big fee, we need to promote sustainability in football and chucking a load of money at staying in the Premier League isn't that. I was there a few weeks ago for a, for a, for a media day and I know they got pumped by Newcastle, but, you know, they nearly drew with Manchester City at, at home. They were brilliant that day. Yeah, they bit, were. A bit like Luton. They have been in most games. If they've lost, it's tended to be by by, by one goal. Sheffield, you know, they've chucked away opportunities where they were ahead in the, in, in, in the last minute. Like... I don't think they're I don't know, a million miles away, Sheffield Sheffield United. And I actually don't think they should they should dispose of Heckingbottom either. I think he's probably the the right manager for the for the squad they have. I don't. They just needed that first win. I think they've got that now, and they've backed it up with with, with the draw. And you've talked about the fixtures, George. I think they've got a good striker in Cameron Archer, a good midfielder in 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 Harm. I think they'll probably get better as the season goes along. And I, I I'm with you. I think everyone's talking like it's going to be the three that came up. They're going to go straight back down. I don't, I don't think it's that simple. So they've got, you know, Bournemouth at home and then Burnley away, two massive games. We'll probably know a little bit more after those games. But, you know, I've predicted Sheffield United to, to win and I'm top of the predictions league. So <laughs> maybe I'll say them out, out of, outside, of the, uh, outside of the bottom three by, by next next week's show. But that, that just about does us. We're running out of time. Thank you very much to George and Sam for joining me today to preview this weekend's Premier League action, like we do every week here on the Edge of the Box podcast. If you want to subscribe, like, comment, all that good stuff you can do for us wherever you're taking in this podcast, that would be very much appreciated. Of course, there'll be lots of clips on social, as there always is. And of course, we'll be back next week to do exactly the same thing as we've done this week, albeit we'll be talking about different games. Maybe mention Erling Haaland being top of the form rankings, as well as we sometimes like to do on this podcast. Thanks ever so much for watching. Tell all your friends and your family about the pod and have a great weekend.